Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Game World Cup podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. This wasn't football, declares the pack page of The Times today, echoing Phil Neville's comments after one of the most extraordinary World Cup matches ever. England are through to the quarterfinals, but all anybody is talking about is the antics of their opponents, Cameroon. Here to analyse a quite remarkable last 16 game, we're joined by the former England West Ham and Chelsea defender Claire Rafferty. And down the line in France, we have Times's chief sports writer Matt Dickinson, and from the Times and Sunday Times, Molly Hudson and Rebecca Myers. Later on, we'll be assessing England's last eight opponents on Thursday and saying farewell to a legend of women's football. But first, we start with a game that will go down in infamy. England beat Cameroon 3-0 in Valenciennes to reach the World Cup quarterfinals on Sunday night. But sadly, little of what went right will be remembered. Phil Neville said he was completely and utterly ashamed of the behaviour of the Cameroon players after they twice threatened to walk off the pitch in protest at VAR decisions. There was also an elbow thrown, several bad tackles and one case of spitting as well. Now, Claire, in all your time in the game, have you ever witnessed anything like what we saw? Never, ever. Um, and I don't think many people will say they have. Um, it was absolute chaos. Uh, in the end, upon reflection, I feel really sorry for the referee. Yes, she could have been a little bit strong with her punishments, but to kind of control 11 players who were all throwing their toys out of the pram, it was a, a difficult task. And um, we, we were discussing before what would have happened if they actually decided not to restart. It would have been a whole different debate. And unfortunately, we're not even talking about the football now. We're talking mm. about the behaviour. Yeah, uh, and that is the real shame uh, about all of this. But the two calls that enraged Cameroon the most were the two VAR decisions. The first was to award a goal for Ellen White, ruling correctly that she was onside, making it 2-0 to England. The second, shortly after half-time, was to disallow a goal from Anjara and shoot after VAR showed that there was an offside in the build-up. Matt, you were at the match last night. Did you have any sympathy with Cameroon over the decisions? Uh, certainly not those two. There seem to be, you know, I mean, the c communication with the VRs remains, I think, possibly the biggest issue. And, and as far as we could tell, there was one sort of screenshot that flashed up and Nikita Paris was in the offside position, but not interfering for the Ellen White goal. And that seemed to cause the confusion uh, among the, the Cameroon players. But it, it, it felt like they were... Um, they'd already been sort of rattled by, you know, the, the, the early booking for the um, the elbow is, was more than justified. They were rattled by the, the you know, I guess the certainly debatable back pass decision that led to England's first goal. Um, and then, the, but then they lost the plot. I mean, there's no two ways about it. They, you know, there was no justification for how they, you know, the whole, whole point of the, uh, as, as we've discussed many times, is is that you know someone gets to see replays of a of a decision and make the most accurate uh, assessment they can. And the idea that you will sort of go completely crackers about uh, you know a decision that's been made 
yeah, the, the, the Cameroon, it's not like the Cameroon players had any evidence that, that, that supported them in the slightest. Mm. Quite the opposite. It's just to pick up on something you mentioned there about Cameroon perhaps seeing a screenshot of that Ellen White goal where it, Nikita Paris was in an offside position yet not interfering with play. Does this game maybe suggest that the definitive decisions by VAR should also be shown in stadiums? I, I think so. I mean, I know the Premier League debated it recently um, and, and, you know, it's, it's something that every league is discussing how much you show, how much you don't show and that's, that's left to individual leagues to decide. I you know, I personally think, you know, some, again, there's been sort of debates about, well, if you show it, there could be, does it inflame trouble, does it not? I, I, I think yesterday makes the case for showing more and just for having clarity on the screen, of, you know, just showing that, that image of a line, even you know, just to say this has been ruled offside because, you know, and here's a, a line across the pitch and, and, and then get on with it. But I, I do think, I do think there was something freakish about yesterday. I just don't, you know, it, 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 it felt... It felt sort of completely out of hand in a way that, on the one hand, yeah, we've got to examine and see what can be improved upon. But equally, you just, well, as Claire said, I, I mean, I, I've never seen anything close to that in a, in a game of football. Claire, let me ask you about whether or not you have sympathy for Cameroon. This is the first time VAR has been used in a Women's World Cup. Uh, and for many players, it's completely new to them. Do you feel that perhaps you could have sympathy towards Cameroon because of that? They're not used to VAR and how these decisions are made? But you, you could argue the same for the England players because in the WSL we don't use it, so mm-hmm. it would have been their first exposure to it as well. For me, I, I, I totally applaud passion and, and belief and desire and, and will to win. Um, but the, the lack of emotional control was the issue here. Um, and I, I sent a tweet out last night saying, you know, when you're given a platform, such as a, a privilege of playing at a World Cup, um, you know, you hold a certain amount of responsibility to, you know, you're, whether you like it or not, you're a role model, not just to girls and boys in your own country, but all around the world because millions of people are watching this and it's not a good example. Um, you know, it was it was chaotic. The referee, you know, should they have shown it? I think it did create a little bit more animosity in the, in the stadium as well. I know there was a bit of trouble in the, in the um, well, what I saw a few tweets in the, in the stadium. Um but I'm confu- I'm just confused with all. For me, <laughs> yeah. uh, an offside an offside is factual, so I don't know what the issue is. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, I mentioned that in the piece there. You know, people sort of talk about sort of a controversial VAR decision because it was only an inch. I mean, an inch is an inch, and, and if we're going to use it for offside, which makes complete sense, then you know that's as offside as as, as three feet. But uh, one one, uh, I think that's a really good point, Claire makes. Being in the stadium, it was, you know, I mean, we all like drama, but this. This was ugly, and it doesn't matter what gender we're talking about, men's, women's World Cup, it was ugly. And, and uh, you know, there was more issues of, of, of the crowd. But I, I have to say, I found myself thinking, wow, if this, if this was a men's tournament with, you know, undoubtedly a, a, a more aggression in the stadium, shall we say, then I, I really would have feared for what might have happened because there, were, there was a lot of shouting and booing and agitated people. And, and it sort of felt like, crowd-wise, we sort of got away with something that could have actually turned out to be a lot worse. Neville said it damaged the image of the women's game, Claire. Do you think he's right? No, I don't. I think that's a little bit harsh. I'd like to think that the women's game has got a bit more depth to not be defined by just one um, isolated incident. I do think there should be some you know, punishment for, for Cameroon, uh, just you know, so, so that we can set a precedent that this behaviour is not acceptable. But obviously it's a bigger stage and we don't want to be seeing that and lots of people now have their opinion, but 
um, you know, for me, at least people are talking about foot, women's football. I know it's in, not in a good way, but that, you know, it sparked a little bit more interest. Um, but to say it's damaged it, women's football, I think is a little bit extreme. Yes, the, the game was a mess and it wasn't enjoyable to watch. It was, you know, hard to kind of stay invested in because of it just got out of control. Mm. Um, but I think what England did, they they stood up and, you know, they counteracted that with their, you know, ultra-professionalism. They, they didn't get wound up. They didn't allow it to get to them. Um, they rode the storm and came came out 3-0 winners and, and they're into a quarter-final and we have to now put this to bed, the Cameroon situation, once the FIFA deal with it and, and move on because, you know... It's coming home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've still got to talk a little bit more uh, about what happened uh, away from the result itself. And, and Matt Clare was just saying there that everyone now is, is talking about the Women's World Cup today, perhaps for the wrong reasons, but is not all publicity good publicity? Uh, I'm, I don't really feel so. I, I don't think, and I don't think it was, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying this just because it's they've been men's or women's, it was not a good look for football. And they say, you know, we all like drama and, you know, stuff goes wrong and passions boil over. But it was not, as I say, partly because of that crowd issue, partly because actually it felt farcical in the stadium. It brought, it felt like it was bringing the whole issue of, ref, you know, I think the vast majority of the blame has to go with Cameroon and their indiscipline. But I don't think, you know, the referee tried to go soft and it, it clearly was, you know, that started failing pretty early. I mean, I, I felt that she had this sort of, Fixed grin of I am in control on it, where actually probably her brain was thinking, you know, oh my god, what, what, yeah, what, what do I do about this? And she tried to sort of go down the road of appeasement, and mm. and and that didn't work. And it, you know, and it didn't, you know, even if VAR was making the correct decisions, it didn't feel like a good day for VAR because it just felt like it brought that sadly and sort of unnecessarily back into a mass debate. So yeah, you know, on the one hand say we, we come to football for for drama but I, this this did not feel a good day for for the tournament or for football and that's that's sort of not to do with women's football it just didn't uh, this would have been a bad look whoever was playing there were lots of incidents in this game Nikita Paris was elbowed in the face Tony Duggan was spat upon and we also had of course Steph Horton being stamped on towards the end of the game as well the former Premier League referee Peter Walton writes at thetimes.co.uk today that the elbow and the stamp should both have been red cards Matt has suggested there that maybe the referee towards the end of the game was trying to appease the situation do you think Claire she should have have been stronger or do you think she was trying to be diplomatic towards Cameroon and trying to pl- to placate them basically I think from the outset um, she, she gave that yellow card initially didn't she mm. for the elbow so she was aware of it but I think she should have been a little bit stronger and then from then on in it kind of got more and more lenient um, almost to try and keep the peace perhaps um, for me the icing on the cake was, was when the referee actually got pushed herself which I just couldn't even comprehend um and I well, don't she know why. She seemed to laugh it off, didn't I she? I think she was. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if she kind of understood really what happened to mm. her. I don't. I think maybe she thought it was an accident, and that's why she she laughed it off. But for me, seeing the replays, it, I think it was um, on purpose. And I, I would like to see VAR brought in for them kind of instance as well, because you know that's the sending off. Mm. You can't push the referee. You can't have girls and boys watching football games and see a player push a referee because if that was in the Premier League, it would be absolutely you know stamped stamped upon and, and frowned upon and the player would be sent off mm, and all sorts. Mm. So, I mean, VAR 
is there to to, to look at red card situations? Uh, Matt, did you did you see that push on the referee? What did you make of it? Yeah, well, I certainly saw it on the replay. I, yeah, I mean, it looked it looked it looked deliberate to me. Um, and yeah, absolute straight red card. I thought the you know the elbow early in the, the game. I could just about. I mean, I, I, you know, I think there could have been no complaints if it was red. But if you let that one, I mean, the Steph Horton one towards the end, I mean, it, by that stage, you know, you could absolutely tell with that that <laughs> the referee was just thinking, I just want to get off. Um, and that, but that, that's no, that's, she should get, you know, a, a sort of black mark for that. I'm sure she will get a black mark for that in uh, whatever grading she gets from FIFA. And I, yeah, I say, I, I just felt that she, you know, I, I don't want to put the blow to blame on her because ultimately the Cameroon team made it a, a, a really hard afternoon for her but I think to say she went she went down the road of trying to sort of keep the peace and ultimately she needed probably to do a, deliver a, a pretty hard shock to them in, in the first half I mean when they first sort of stop, stopped we were you know talking about it afterwards last night of, of when they stopped playing the first time I don't know what I, I should find out exactly what the the FIFA sort of guidelines are is on that you know do you book the captain do you you know but but it felt like she needed to at that point do something very firm to say look I'm in charge of this game uh, and you better start playing it or else the Cameroon players appeared in their protest to be pointing towards the VAR replays on the big screens uh, as we've already suggested there uh, earlier that Part of the idea of VAR is that it offers the indisputable verdicts, particularly when it comes to offside. So, Matt, are you concerned that VAR is being so heavily criticised on and off the pitch at the moment? Yeah, well, that's, I, 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 do, I, do, I do wince because, you know, someone who has, you know, thinks that, you know, I, I did a column on it last week and just, my, you know, always come, you know, even through any VAR controversies, uh, and we've had a few, um, I still come back to this place of thinking, well, if, if we can't make it work, you know, we're not doing it right we're not being very smart and intelligent about it so I, I i think you know we can get to a place where it works i think yesterday we'll say it was freakish in in, in the extent of the, the the crazy overreaction to it i think the decisions on the offsides i think using it for those offsides makes sense I, I do have a feeling um and i think this is a, a problem area of this partly made worse of this tournament is that maybe officials are sort of hiding behind VAR a bit. I think, you know, the, 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 certainly in my experience, it works best when referees go out feeling they are in charge, they are making decisions, and then if they get one horribly wrong, it's corrected. That's that's how it was meant to be set up. Mm. The referee goes about the game, you know, feeling like their job is to, to make calls as they see them and then get corrected. I feel like maybe that the, one of the problems with this game, certainly, and a few others I've seen, is that officials are thinking, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll wait and see if VAR intervenes. And I don't think that is how the system can work to the best. Does that concern you then, Claire, when you hear that? Well, look, it's not going to be in the, in the league next season in, in um, England. So it's almost like... In the WSL. Yeah, in the WSL. Mm. Um, obviously, it's going to be in the Premier League. But... <laughs> I just think it, it's the the standard of the referees that are not exposed to to the VAR. Um, you know, obviously the players haven't been as well, but you can only really learn from you know replicating the you know, match day situations, and you only get to do that on a match day. So it's all a learning curve, and that's just something that maybe we have to just embrace. Hmm. Matt, thank you for joining us. No problem. Here's a cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Well, as Cameroon imploded, England managed in the main to keep their heads. Rebecca, you were watching the team closely last night. Who stood out for you amid the chaos? I mean, for sure, Steph Wharton, she was fantastic, as she always is, such a sort of calm presence. Um, I mean, only once really did she go over to sort of have words with the referee, but when she did, she was incredibly composed. Um, you know, she could have really, really lost her cool, um, especially given how her players were being treated, but she led by example, um, incredibly calm. And yeah, I'm just, just an absolute sort of epitome of what a captain should be for me. Molly, you wrote for the Times, interesting, with, with Rebecca picking up on Steph Horton there, that uh, England will have been concerned by the gaps in their defence. They had looked pretty solid uh, up until that match against Cameroon. Well, I think there's, there's certainly been things that could be improved upon in, in all the games that have played so far. And I think one obvious weakness of the England team um, is defensively, particularly from the left that sort of area when Alex Greenwood's been playing. It feels as though it's quite attacking, you know, when, when the team sort of really targets us down that side, we seem to struggle. Um, a couple of times Alex committed last night where maybe, you know, she should have just just taken a moment to sort of calm down and assess the situation rather than, rather than jumping in. And I think um, that's certainly something that Bill will maybe look at going forward in terms of where to start Demi Stokes in that position. Um, I think, obviously, yesterday was a very individual set of circumstances that probably won't be repeated. Um and hopefully the players won't be um, put into that sort of situation again. And I think that, that did affect them. But, you know, there were times when defensively England should have been better. And particularly coming up against Norway, you know, that is something that will be tested. And there's got to be a lot better if you want to make it into the semi-final. Mentioned there that horrible tackle on Steph Horton. She was being treated after the game. How much of a loss, Claire, would she be if she can't play in this quarterfinal? Yeah, well, Steph Horton is a leader on and off the pitch and without her I think the defensive frailties will only increase the thing is though he's, he's obviously rotated the squad a lot and he's said multiple times how, how much he t- trusts the, the strength and depth of the team um, if she can't play then you know it, it's kind of the biggest test 
for what he's been saying and, and, and whether he's right in, in making them calls. You know, Abby McManus has played a few times, so it, it wouldn't be too much of a shock for her to come in. So you can you can see why potentially he has entrusted you know his squad squad death because of these situations. You know, in a World Cup, you never know what's going to happen, and sometimes you do end up losing your leaders on the pitch, and it's it's then an opportunity for someone else to step up. You know, one door closes, another mm. opens. So if she can't play, the likes of Leah Williamson or Abby McManus, um, it's their opportunity to shine. That's who would fill her position. Who would fill the role as the captain? Because obviously, Steph Horton is such a leader out on the pitch. You always see her being so vocal and gesturing to her teammates on what they should be doing. So who takes on that role? I think naturally it'd probably be passed to Jill Scott. I'm, I'm sure she'll be playing. She's been fantastic um, in the previous games, and and you know she leads in her own way. For me, the armband is is just a it's a symbol. It doesn't really kind of change uh, how players are, and there's so many you know other leaders on that pitch without the armband. So it's just an opportunity for everyone else to step up. You, you know, a lot of, a lot of players like Lucy Bronze they lead with with, with their feet. So. It's only an opportunity for other people, I think. Molly, you mentioned about Norway on Thursday in the quarterfinals and, and Claire has, has spoken about the fact that Phil Neville likes to rotate. Do you expect him to shuffle his side again? And if so, what changes do you think he'll make? I don't think he'll massively change it from last night. I think, you know, as I said, maybe maybe Demi will come in place of um, Alex Greenwood. Perhaps Georgia Stanway will feel sort of grieved that she didn't get to start last night ahead of Frank Kirby and I think you know Tony Dunn didn't have a great game on the left again so perhaps Beth Mead will come back in but I think you know it's that time of the tournament where regardless of Neville or what he said about rotation you have to play your strongest team Norway will not be easy to beat even with our strongest team and I, I just don't think we can afford to, to rotate or underestimate the, the kind of threats they possess Claire what can we expect from Norway then? Very adaptable team um, very tactically astute they like to go with a 4-4-2 um, and for me their biggest threat is, is that two up top um, occupying the two centre-backs so you'll have to be very disciplined and switched on and I'd like to see the likes of Jade Moore coming in to try and uh, increase the, the defensive stability because of that but you know they've got some great individual players Hansen just signed for Barcelona and we all know how great she can be she was electric when she was picking the ball up against um, Australia in the counter-attack so you need to be very aware of that um, you know you've got Royton you've got the two Chelsea centre-backs who have grown into the tournament initially was a little bit shaky but Mara Mjolda is a, is a fantastic leader and by the way she nullified Sam Kerr in the Australia game she knows how to manage these big games so it, it'll be a difficult game but we, we need to be a lot more um, concentrated as the game goes on I think it will be a low scoring one just because the two teams will cancel each other out Rebecca, we're sort of still waiting for that standout England performance. I know a win is a win and at the end of the day you'll only ever remember the win and not the performance. But has that in some ways disappointed you from the England that we've seen so far that we're not really talking about that overall general amazing performance? Yeah, in, in some ways. And, and Molly wrote a great piece today about, um, you know, actually the flaws in, in the game and the fact that at the end of the day, OK, we won 3-0, but it, we're not perfect by any stretch. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, and in a way, maybe we are we're all, all still waiting for that England team that we want to see, that, that actual performance that just blows away all others and, and puts us out there as a world-class team. Maybe we haven't really seen that yet. Um, on the flip side, you know, we are coming away with, I think we've had one goal against us all tournament, a record number of wins in a row. So so sometimes I wonder whether we're all being a bit 
harsh just because our expectations are so high. But that's in line with Neville. That's what he asks of his players. He's got incredibly high expectations. And um, I think so. I hope Solo said this yesterday. What she loves about him is is that he, he never really satisfied. He always looks at what they've done and, and says, well, you know, that was fine, but it wasn't good enough. Um, so I suppose the real kind of proof in the pudding will be whether it ever becomes good enough, whether we ever see a performance from them this tournament where we look at it and we think, wow, that was just a class, world-class performance from them. Mm. It's funny because we were talking before, Claire, about are we being over, overly yeah. critical on England? But is that because we just expect more from them? I think as a nation, especially, you know, when we do the same to the men's, we have such high expectation and the whole weight of the country is, is leaning on, on these players because, you know, we're a footballing nation and, and we love football. We have high, high expectations. Yes, we probably are hypercritical, um, but it's only because we know the potential of the players. And I think if you, if you take it all with a bit of a pinch of salt, um, there's no harm in having them high expectations. And as you said, Neville's the one who's come out and been so outspoken about it. So for us to kind of be unassuming about it would be contradictory to what he's saying. Mm. And Norway have won the World Cup before. They finished fourth in 1999 and 2007. But Molly, this England team has evolved beyond them now, some might say. Should we consider Neville's team favourites? I think, I think we'll go into the game as favourites. But I think... You know, we have to sort of disregard that because we haven't necessarily come up against the best opposition so far in this tournament and Norway are definitely going to be head and shoulders again compared to anything that we have faced. So I think, yes, maybe we'll go into it as slight favourites, but, you know, those of us that have covered England know that we struggle against teams like Norway, teams that are quite organised. You know, they have got star players as well. You know, let's not forget that. But, you know, I remember when we played Sweden in Rotherham in, in the lead up to this World Cup and we just got outplayed and everywhere on the pitch really so I think yes we'll probably be favourites but you know it's certainly not going to be an easy game and I think it will actually give England a massive amount of confidence if we can go and beat Norway going further into the competition Well the second game on Sunday was also dramatic if not quite so controversial the France captain Amandine Henri scored the extra time winner to defeat Brazil 2-1 Claire this is likely to be the final time that we see Marta the legendary Brazilian player at a World Cup finals how would you sum up her legacy? Just what an unbelievable role model she's been and and that you know, she, she epitomises what is using it, your platform, and she, that's what she did last night—a rally and call um, to the next generation. I think I, I don't don't quote me on the actual direct translation, but something along the lines of you know the next generation and and the women's game depends on you, and I think that's probably to do with her work with her own um, country as well. You know, it's been difficult for someone to cut you know players to step up and fill her shoes, and it's because she's been such an outstanding player, mm. and 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 they are ageing and this potentially is, is the last for her. And yeah, she hasn't won a World Cup, but what she has done is is been one of the best players consistently for years and years and years. You know, you've you got young girls and boys with Marta on the back of their shirts and she has inspired a next generation. Um, and, and she will continue to do so, just probably not on the international stage. Mm, yeah, the women's game in Brazil really undeveloped and they're struggling to, to foster new talent, Molly. And, and as um, Claire was just saying there, she did send out a very powerful message to young girls that they do need to work hard to achieve their goals. She said something along the lines of cry in the beginning so you can smile in the end. She will bow out of the game, not only as a start on the pitch, but off it too, Molly. Um, I think she's, she's just sort of been one of those players that when you think of women's football, you think of Martha. You think of the personality and the skill and the talent that she brings to the game. And not just Martha, but Christiane and Formiga, you know, there's a chance that all three of those play- players 
we'll never play in the World Cup again. And it was actually quite emotional watching that game last night, you know, thinking that this was, this was the end for them on the world stage because, you know, Marta has never got that Olympic gold or World Cup gold. And, you know, it's such a shame because she is such an incredible player and she has done so much for the sport on and off the pitch. Um, saw the cover of Vogue Brazil that she was on and she is truly an icon for women's football all over the world and even more so in Brazil where, you know, as you mentioned, there, there might not be the players there that are ready to fill her boots at the moment. And and I hope that we, we see those young players get inspired and sort of have the grassroots facilities over there to allow them to be that good and, and replace these amazing icons of the women's game. I mean, Formiga is just an incredible player. You know, the longevity of her career is just incomparable, really. And I think um, it would be really sad if these players go and then that's the Brazil never becomes this good again so hopefully they can really encourage their younger players to to fall in love with the game and achieve as much as Formiga and Marta have done. Interesting if, if you were watching the game last night and previous games as well you might have seen Marta with bright red lipstick on uh, not for uh, any particularly um Makeup reasons. It's because it's a statement for her. The colour is of blood, she says, because we had to leave blood on the pitch. And Rebecca, she is just one of those great players and personalities that we've been lucky to see in the women's game. Yeah, I think what we have to remember about Marta, Marta is that she was a household name before women's football had household names. You know, she was she was Marta. She's only ever had this sort of one name her whole life, and and people knew about her who weren't engaged in women's football at all. That's huge. We still have problems with getting like female footballers names out there um so i think it can't be underestimated what she did for the profile of the women's game she was a player with that kind of cult following that really beautiful um gift for football that that that, you know kind of attracts fans from any any background who don't necessarily have investment in the women's game and she was doing all of this decades before anybody else so what she's done for the women's game can never be underestimated And, and as molly said she's got this kind of cultural following outside of um, just football fans in you know back home, but also now globally, and I think she'll hopefully she'll go on and she'll stay involved in the women's game in in some way and stay as a role model and, and you know someone to lead players um, of younger generations. But she'll be sorely missed. Absolutely, yeah. and uh, France's win means they now face Spain or the US in a quarterfinal on Friday. Molly, how important is it for the tournament that the host are still in it? It's absolutely massive. Um, when we was we was actually coming back from the England game and, you know, it, it really did feel like a World Cup was going on around us and it, it hasn't felt like that for a lot of the time we've been here. I think people were so invested in that French team and, went, and then it went to extra time and, and you were thinking, you know, you sat there like we could be in a World Cup without the host nation and particularly because of the cultural sort of system in France. If, if France aren't winning, the, the public tends to not care too much about or the tournament so I think particularly for the, the semi-finals and the finals in Lyon the attendance would have just been massively affected if France hadn't have got through so I think you know it's great for the tournament that France got through and I think you know we'd all love to watch a France-USA semi-final but we'll have to see how the US-Spain goes, game goes tonight You mentioned that that potential semi-final then how good a game will that be Rebecca if it is the US against France? I think it'll be the game of the tournament, to be honest. I mean, obviously, bar the excitement at the finals, that is an extraordinary um, meeting. And, and really quite early on, obviously, you're, you're talking about one of the favourites of the whole tournament being being out, out of the way by then. 
so yeah, I think it's going to be, I'm excited about it already, to be honest. I know we're getting slightly ahead of ourselves and certainly <laughs> last night watching France sort of slightly stutter and, and maybe uh, stumble a little bit. I did suddenly think, oh, we're not we're not going to get a USA-France game after all. But it looks like we will now, um, obviously provided Spain don't pull off a, a blinder tonight. But I think it would just be a, an amazing spectacle for the sport. I think it will cement that global image of women's football as, as a joy to watch um, and I'm really excited to see even just stuff like the viewing figures afterwards I think it's going to I think it's going to really take off So we know France and England are in the last eight along with Germany and Norway so far Claire who's impressed you then? Um, I know Germany have gone under the radar um, but they're a bit of a silent assassin there they've got such a depth of quality um, but France for me yes they, they did look like they stuttered but They've always been their mentality's always been questioned, and I think we saw a turning point in them being able to actually take the game to Brazil um, in that extra time. And previously, where, where they they failed at this stage, um, but I think they've learned a lot. They've got some fantastic players. Henri, I really like the combination with Diani and um, Guvan um, in the game, and I, I think they're going to be a handful for anyone any, anyone to deal with. So. I'm still initially I would say Norway but I think England have got too much for Norway so I'm, I'm, I'm tipping France oh there you go okay Molly and Rebecca thank you well that is it for now many thanks to our guests today Claire Rafferty Matt Dickinson Rebecca Myers and Molly Hudson remember you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet it is just a pound a week for an eight week trial search the Times subscription for more information we'll be back on Friday to see if England can make it through to the World Cup semi-finals The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.